Welcome to the Mad Writers Union. Speculative destruction, one episode at a time. I'm Jay Wolf. I'm Tim Berger. And I'm Nina Niskanen. And today we are... Um... (laughs) (laughs) Igor Stolar. (laughs) Okay, you... We are suffering. Yeah, that's it, what it is. Yeah. It, you ever have one of those moments where you're in the dentist's office and they just turn on the laughing gas and just kind of leave it on for a while? <laughs> Nitrous. Yeah. Nitrous. Well, Igor has been messing around. and With the air Lab conditioning. man. With everything. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Bastard. Oh, Bitch. that's one I can leave in. Oh. <laughs> nice. So we had touched on, in a previous episode, the magic of self-editing. And uh, while it was one of those topics that, you know, kind of fit in with what we were talking about with the size of a story, there are also kind of a lot of things that made that a bit of a kettlefish topic. And so we are kettlefishing that to (laughs) this episode. Wherein we dive into that kettle of fish and hope that the fish is not too stinky. Yeah. Because <laughs> it might All be. Right. It was sitting around for a while. Yeah. Well, that's Igor's job, too. So, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, he's really lax yeah, about just, that fish God. Yeah, emptying. Just terrible. Kind of swinging back to self-editing. And much like Igor, it's all about self-direction. Right? <laughs> Must be a self-starter. Get Getting shit done. Um, so I, one of the, one of the things that we wanted to try to draw up while we can still can, there is a distinction between, um, self-editing your work and working off a critique. Cause I, I think we've talked a lot about working off a critique where you have somebody else take a look at what you've written, offer comments back. Uh, and that, that's very good for a story, but you know, you still have to do a lot of the heavy lifting yourself. And so yes. we wanted to kind of focus on what some of those techniques are before you even get to the critique, after you do the critique, and, and kind of figure out differentiate the, the stages. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now there's a book that Nina and I both use, which is called, conveniently enough, <laughs> self-editing. <laughs> For fiction writers by Rennie Brown and Dave King. It's a treasure trove of information. It's not very big. It's a short read. It's um, 267 pages, including the appendixes. Right. Appendices. So uh, the this book in, in uh, self-editing kind of breaks things down by topic. It starts off a uh, show-and-tell, character, point of view, proportion... And that's, it's something that uh, it gives you a good stepping point for how you're, you're going to approach your writing. Also, you want to be careful of which writing advice you take. Because if you do just a simple Google search about editing your story, you get so many hits. And some of it, I, I don't want to say you're getting bad advice, but some of it's not going to work for you. So you need to be yeah. really careful. Well, the other curate. side of that, too, is that advice can be perfectly correct for the wrong situation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You can have advice that it applies to a certain stage of it, but maybe doesn't apply to where you are as a writer. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think one of the better posts on self-editing is from Chuck Wendig, and he has this post called 25 Steps to Edit the Unmerciful Suck Out of Your Story. <laughs> Written in the classic Wendig style, he has these 25 steps. It's a short read, and it kind of narrows down part of his process a little bit. And it's got some really good tips for uh, trying to figure out what you want to do. So, yeah, I think it's also important to mention at this at this stage why you want to be doing this at all. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. I was talking to um, Lena Likitala the, the other day, who is a brilliant Finnish writer. She's won the Writers of the Future Award. She's been featured in Clark, Clark's World and 
all these kinds of things. She talked about uh, being respectful of your reader's time. Like even mm-hmm. your even your beta readers or critique partners. You yes. want to be sure to hand them the best work that you can. And yes. <laughs> being able to self-edit and edit out the stuff that you know won't work is is hugely important toward that end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, jumping off of that, that that's, that's probably my biggest frustration as a person who does a lot of beta reading for people is the number one thing I don't want to hear from you is, oh yeah, I already changed that thing. <laughs> because that means yeah. you didn't take the time to send me the draft that had yeah. yep. the better version of that thing. Yep. And that means that I wasted all of that time on that thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a, a good step in terms of, of that first read that you give yourself is find all of that stuff that you would just die if somebody else saw that you wrote it mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. just get it out of there before you even before you even contemplate going to the beta reader stage. Yeah. And um, sometimes that stuff is not immediately obvious. Sometimes you have to send it to one or two beta readers and then they can go like, are you serious? But <laughs> in general, like the more people that you're thinking about sending something to, the better your the draft that you're sending to them should be. Right. So I actually have a question. To to be able to read your um, work in a way where you can see the the huge flaws that you would you would die if anyone saw. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to read like a reader and not as the writer of that work. How do you go about doing that? So the first step to that is time. Yeah. And we don't always have that kind of time. Yes. That kind of time is often something that we as writers do not give ourselves and then don't give to our readers either. Plus also sometimes there there are just deadlines. Well, yeah. I mean, in deadlines can be... It's one of those things where, like, certainly um, certain writers that I know, not naming any names, (laughs) definitely not naming any names or pointing at any people that are on the screen in our little hangout right now. But um, there are people who who basically just can't function without being on the ass end of a deadline. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, with in that like minutes to spare uh, category. And so the easiest way to kind of deal with that is to set false deadlines throughout. Yeah. That are not the actual deadline so that you give yourself the time to have distance from the manuscript before you actually go in and finalize. Also smaller deadlines like Yeah. If yes. you're doing little mini a deadlines novel. that are like yeah. Yep. So like but th- there's different different ways that you can approach that editing pass and um yes. the way that I Typically, or the way that I've eventually had to, to come about and, and start editing my work is kind of this inverse pyramid kind of thing mm-hmm. where I I look at the work and I, I'm like, okay, so what is this about? And I try to go really big picture, really high level, mm-hmm. and then I try to drill down. Um, yeah, tighter and tighter. Tighter and tighter. Um so I start with the story, then I go with whatever scenes that I have, and then I go down to paragraph level, sentence level, and then yep. that that fine, uh, yeah, cr- that fine tune word the choice, fine tune stuff. Even even saying that, uh, there are certain things that you you're probably going to have blind spots about. Um, yes, I, I think this is what this this book um, that Nina and I just mentioned is really good at because it, it, it breaks down all of these things. It's like um, basically you go through this and, and what the book does really well here is, is that it'll explain a section. It'll have all these ex- examples of what they mean by this. For example, show and tell. I mean, they that's the common mantra, right? right? Um, but then at the end of the chapter, they'll have a list, uh, a checklist, essentially, of things that you should be aware of, things that you should be looking for. Um, and then it has some, it, then it has some exercises. So this is a, you could draw up your own checklists based on the things that you know that you're maybe not strong with. Mm-hmm. And also, 
I think sometimes more important is, is also having checklists with things that you feel confident about so that you're not missing something. You're, that you're not, you know, if you feel like you're good at one one thing, say like if you you do feel like you're good at showing or telling, that you may not look at that with such a careful eye. Yeah. Yeah. Skip over. Yeah, that's but, the downside to knowing your knowing your strong point. That, yeah. Uh, like we talked about with Stephen Bruce stuff. One of the things that came to mind while you were talking about that too was, um, uh, I think I think it was Elizabeth's Bear talk at VP about. Um, the sort of like the six functions of a sentence or seven functions, I think. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that was, uh, was that Sherwood. Oh was it, well, no, it was definitely not Sherwood. Um, it was either Bear or Teresa. I can't yeah. remember which, but I remember somebody talking about like basically if if you're if you're if you're at your sentence level, if your sentence is not performing one of six functions, it is redundant in some way. Right. Um. But yeah, one of the things that you were talking about with your your kind of inverse pyramid, your your tapering cone idea here that I really really like is that a lot of people do not spend very much time at that big big picture stage. Yeah. And from the editor's chair, I can tell you there are so many people who are so close to being publishable who are not spending enough time at that stage. Yeah. You're spending way too much time on the nitty gritty of the sentences and like making sure that they sound pretty and stuff, but they didn't spend enough time on making sure that the story is actually satisfying to read. And can, that drives me nuts. Can you go can you go a little more into that cuz I think that's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially, and this is one of those things that's like dead simple to the point where it's almost like ridiculous is that when you are plotting a story, you need some kind of and I'm going to say at least for um, for the purposes that we're dealing with here, in general, you're going to have some volume of characters, at least two, mm-hmm. and that there is going to be some kind of conflict, not necessarily between those characters, but some kind of conflict, some kind of action that those characters have to take, and that that action has to result in some kind of change. And this is admittedly something that I'm not great at. So I am trying to train myself to spend more time at that stage of the story where you're developing what these characters are doing and why. You have to get the reader to invest. And a lot of times an author spends time on writing something and they're already invested in the characters because of where they are in the writing. Yes. And that that's dangerous to the draft if you don't spend enough time at really making sure that you have impressed that character upon the reader so that the reader gives a shit mm-hmm. because that's really that's really where um that, that's where stories lose a lot of points for me is like i kind of like um at the end even if even if they nailed everything else if i don't care about the character i'm like so what like mm-hmm. what happened right and and the easiest way to do that i mean is, is one of those like easier said than done things that you know <laughs> right like they but spending time at the development stage of a story really matters yes so so le- let me ask I mean, you then, ooh, no, sorry. No, yeah let me ask you this uh would it help to be able to i mean, if you can mhm summarize your story in a couple of sentences is that yeah that's a good exercise yeah being able to talk talk meaningfully in broad strokes about what you're trying to do and then it's sort of like yeah like you could do that almost as a as a mental exercise can you get can you get the the gist of the story into one or two sentences can you get it into a paragraph can you like the the smaller the amount of information that you can give and still say like what this story is about what you're trying to accomplish with it if you need a paragraph to explain what you're trying to do with a short story you're trying to do too much yeah if you are only coming up with a paragraph to describe your novel it's probably not detailed enough mm-hmm. like there's there's a middle ground there yeah, if you can if you can create a synopsis of your story in your even just in your head, just sort mm-hmm. of like I'm writing a story about revenge and it features a character that is 
you know, I don't know, a swordsmith from somewhere and he meets a ghost from somewhere else. Like, you know, there you go. Identify, identify what is going to happen in broad strokes. You don't have to get into the like politics of the era or anything. It just has to be understanding the, like a even a one word theme, like revenge, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just being able to identify that there's because there, everyone's. This is another one of those things that drives me nuts about writing, is. Everyone is trying to be so original and so unique and and so cutting edge that we lose sight of the fact that stories are still genuinely going to be a divisive entertainment. And Mm -hmm. so if they are not entertaining, um, it doesn't really matter how pretty it is. It doesn't really matter like how great of a wordsmith you are if it is not engaging. Yes. So... You know, you still need to be using themes and stuff that we've been using since Shakespeare's day and not be repelled at the idea like, oh, I can't do that. That's what they're, you know, like, it drives me nuts. Yeah. Like, okay, your story is so high concept, it literally isn't a story. How great is that? (laughs) It still needs to be a story, which means that it still has to have some really incredibly basic functions. (laughs) So. Sorry, <laughs> I got really ranty there, and that's no. not even as ranty as I could be. Yeah, I feel bad that I'm like, Arr! don't, but don't feel really. bad. That was, that was awesome. That was that was fun to watch too. But <laughs> I just totally make a little Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> so uh, one thing that that I know that helps with kind of encapsulating all this other stuff is yes. and. I I don't know about you guys, but I feel like this is one of those things that people say that they do, but maybe they don't actually do this all that often. <laughs> uh, is actually reading your story aloud. Yes! Uh, From yes! a paper copy if you write yeah. on, on your computer. Yes. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And, uh, yeah, no, this is definitely something that I do, and I... It's um it's often in my like first three pieces of advice to somebody is like, yeah, because it shows you your language choice is really black and white. Yeah, yeah, but you and- you have to you have to read it in another medium than where you you wrote it. Like yes. if if you're writing on a computer, then you have to read it on a paper copy or a tablet or something because I've noticed that at least I do this that after i've been working on a on on a story on the computer i don't really notice what's not there like i could be missing a mm-hmm. word and reading it aloud and i'll only notice it maybe after afterward but if i'm reading another thing that ooh yeah sorry yeah but if i'm reading like... no it's <laughs> if i'm reading on a paper copy then I noticed the word missing immediately. Yeah, it's a brain change. Yes. Another thing that I've seen people do if they can't print for whatever reason is change the font. Yes. Oh, if you're writing yeah. in if you're writing in courier, switch it to something that doesn't have serifs and isn't monospaced. If you're yep. writing in Times New Roman, sense. switch it to something that is monospaced. <laughs> Don't use Comic Sans because you're an evil bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yes, yeah, so so font change works if you can't, for whatever reason, print it out. Um, sometimes even just changing the like word processor that you use. I usually do all of my text editing in Evernote and then migrate it to Word where I can mm-hmm. then finesse it. Purely because I like writing in a more raw text editor because if I have all the bells and whistles, I f*** around with the bells and whistles <laughs> and I do nothing else. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, um, but reading aloud also gives you the advantage of just hearing the language. Yes. And then find and and getting it it makes you very aware of not only the tempo of the piece, but also the writing should kind of wave and crest and and, and cadence. Cadence. Thank you. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Like, I have um, this tendency to use very, very long sentences. Mm-hmm. Because I can. 
Yeah, and yeah. they're much more noticeable if you're reading them out loud. Yes. You're lost in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, some people do the opposite thing. They use a lot of short sentences, which that has its place. You know, maybe maybe an action scene in a certain way that yes. that might be mm-hmm. appropriate. But Staccato works really well for that. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah, you want to have a mix of long and short and yep. a little bit of everything there. So also, I think it really kind of points out a lot of and I have this problem is that I often repeat things a lot reading it aloud is like oh yeah i just i just said that <laughs> I just used that exact same word and it, it's uh it, it's not exactly magic but it is something that's really going to help you kind of tighten up the uh, prose and, and just flag a lot of things you weren't aware of before yeah absolutely yeah i mean i even read out loud when i'm beta reading things for other people mm-hmm. especially when i'm like just not sure about a language choice or something like that. That's one of those things where yeah. I I don't have any problem doing it that way. I don't usually record for that. I occasionally record myself reading things that I have written just so that I can go back and hear like, oh, God, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it's one of those things. And that's where my uh, that, that mic that we got for Viable Paradise has come in very handy. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, so that's, yeah, the reading out loud is a, is a wonderful tool that is available to you, and I do not think enough people use it at all, even though it is probably, like, the most given piece of advice about self-editing Yeah, yeah. that I think I've seen. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the other thing that people need to be aware of is, is you know, I kind of talked about this in the inverse py- pyramid thing, but... You really need to be aware of what exactly are you saying in whatever particular scene. So you look at your scene, you say, okay, what am I trying to accomplish here? What's actually happening? Because every little scene has its own internal conflict. It doesn't have to be the overarching conflict, but there's got to be something that somebody wants. Yeah, Yeah, there's got to be something and progress. Um, Um, I'm not sure if it's Deb Dixon, but I heard mm -hmm. it from Kathy Yardley first. Uh, She does this goal motivation... uh, No. Yeah. Goal motivation conflict disaster. So every scene has to end in some sort of disaster. It doesn't have to be, there's a black hole in the middle of the earth for our... (laughs) This episode's Mary reference. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, <laughs> uh, can you tell I've been doing short stories lately? It doesn't have to be there's a black hole in the middle of, middle of the earth. It can be something as little as a social snub or mm-hmm. anything that is some sort of a disaster for the character. And, yes. And you need to differ the the disasters so what kathy taught me was you go back and you re-outline and you re-outline using using the goal motivation conflict and disaster method of of doing for each scene so each scene for the for the main character in the scene you have to have the goal what do they want out of this scene and how is it related to what they want overall? Right. And, and that was what? from uh, Rock Your Plot. Yes. Right? That we've mentioned it before. Yes, but also so. I um, I did mentoring thing with her, Kathy. Oh, okay. And she did sure. this. Okay. She went through this with me on, on the novel I actually have out on queries right now. Okay. Nice. And uh, so. Yeah. So, yeah, we can break down scenes uh, that way. And I think there's another, um, it's been a while since I read this, but we have one of our friends actually recommend this book quite a bit, Make a Scene. Yes. And that is by uh, Jordan Rosenfield, or Josen Rosenfeld, I should say. Um, And there's some good advice in there, too. Um, Kind of breaks down each scene. uh... Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, it's not bad. I've never heard of that one. It's a... uh, um, our friend, uh, Phil. Hi, uh, Phil. Actually, okay, that's Phil's secret. Hi, Phil. 
actually uh, he he raves about it. So he's mentioned it a number of times when I've talked to him about writing. Well um, then, I have so, it in my yeah. queue, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah, I, I've read. I actually have it, and I've read through it, and it's pretty good. Um, it does it does kind of break down what you should have in each scene, and and it doesn't in a kind of an intelligent way. Um, and it talks about the beginnings and middles endings as they should be in in an individual scene. Right. And then it kind of talks about. And then it really kind of breaks down different types of scenes, you know, like a, a dramatic scene or a contemplative scene or this an epiphany is, scene yes. or something like that. Okay, yeah, so this sounds like a book I really, really need because this is definitely something that I uh, have an interest in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Th- that was one of the good. things I was trying to express earlier with, that I don't think I got through very well was that, yeah, the function, like everything that has to... Everything has to pull its weight, and that includes broad strokes like scenes and single single things like word choice. Yeah, exactly. So, so basically, you think of yourself, uh, your story as apocalyptic wasteland. Yes, where every resource <laughs> matters. Yep. And everything oh, has good... to pull its weight. That's a that's a good metaphor. It's from yeah. Now I'm thinking of like. Mad Max's car. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's the more things you put in that car, the slower that car is going to go. I'm actually bastardizing uh, Cameron Hurley's essay on Mad Max Fury Road. Nice. So you know. Mm. Nice. Well then. Oh well. Okay. Now saying, having having kind of talked about the scene, the next you know down the pyramid. If we we talk about a little bit about paragraphs, um. Yes. You know, the thing that you want to do there is exactly, you know, what are you trying to say? Yes. What yeah. what point are you trying to make at this moment? And one thing, this is a little trick that, that some writers talk about. What they what they do is they sometimes they they'll flip it around. They will take the last sentence and they'll make it the first sentence. Because a lot a lot of writers do this thing where they kind of build up to that last sentence. Yeah, yeah, and it can cut. You know, that does all sorts of different things. But if you put that last sentence first, and you just come right out and say it, and then the rest of the paragraph supports that first sentence, right? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. I, I I've tried that trick, and it made it's made my paragraph stronger. Cool. Yeah, that's a very strong thing. Yeah. One thing I was also thinking about with this when we were talking about paragraph. Is that a paragraph is basically a thematic unit. So if mm-hmm. we think about it in terms of what you're trying to get across, if you're talking about a scene trying to get across a, a greater uh, image of, of a conflict or, you know, a growing, uh, a building structure, um, okay. then, then the paragraph is the individual unit in which you're building that. And so the, the paragraph, the individual sentences kind of have to support that, that building unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that I notice, and I would say that I hate to be like, oh, it's an amateur author thing, but uh, a lot of times individual sentences in an author's, in a, especially a newer author, but like in an author's piece, sometimes you will end up with sentences where you have a declarative sentence that says something very strong and very bold, and then three sentences that completely undermine that. So it's sort of important to hmm. make sure that you're paying attention to what you're what you want to say, and so that's usually like your boldest, most declarative sentence would be something that's that is like I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this, but like this happens a lot with characterization in particular, mm-hmm. where um, you'll see someone say in narration like, "Oh, this person is this characteristic." And then three sentences about that that don't have anything to do with it or that actually undermine the assessment. Sure. And that's, um, it's really frustrating. So it's really important when you're detailing that you come up with supporting details that actually matter yeah. to the point that you're trying to make. Yes. Because yeah. a lot of times unrelated material gets worked in there or material that actually undermines the point you're trying to make gets worked in there. Mm-hmm. And... 
um, just to it, just in an effort to fill word count, really. Sure. That's that's one of those things that happens when you're when you're floofing out a draft, and then those are very easy to cut out when when you don't need them anymore. When you need them just to build something so that you have a paragraph to build another paragraph on, <laughs> right. that's fine. And that's what self-editing is all about: is is being able to see those things and go like, "Oh God, that doesn't. What? Why is that there?" <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's finding the the things that a writer need needed to write, but the yes. reader doesn't need to read. Doesn't need to read. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to Julie Dreadful there. Yes. <laughs> and then. Uh, kind of, I mean, kind of going off of Jay's point and talking, you know, about that paragraph and how it is. Um, th- this is where you need to really be careful about repetition. Yes. Uh, because y- you look at that, y- if you get that first strong sentence that comes out of the gate and you're like, okay, that's cool. And you say and you pretty much... weaker sentences that say the same thing. Same exact <laughs> thing. <laughs> you you got to bring up... Something new. It's got to either support it or it's got to pull it in a different direction or something. But it's got to that paragraph has to stand on its own. And your first sentence leads, but everything else has got to support it. Yes. So that's actually one of those things that you you saying that reminds me because it's a it's a bad habit that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Me one too. of the habits that I built specifically out of being a a, a nano rhymo person when I first started writing. <laughs> or at least first started writing seriously, um, is that one of the ways that I kind of would churn out more words than I actually needed was basically to try stating things in more than one way to find the strongest way to state it mm-hmm. and just leave it in there for the first draft and then like come back to it in the second draft, presumably, and remove it. Yeah. And I found that I had gotten into the habit of doing that to the point where... It was basically like having to go back and just completely rewrite everything. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I determined that that was just that that particular methodology of of being on the like write as all, write all the things write as many <laughs> as possible was just not for me <laughs> as a writer. Was because I kept kind of butting up against these things where I was like, oh, I could have I literally could have saved myself time by not doing nano. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I and that's that. purely a personal thing because I I'm a numbers person. I'm I'm like addicted to hitting a number. And so I I kind of have to like avoid that tendency or I it goes it goes haywire. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, so that's one of those things if it's possible that you might need to have that habit of iterating a sentence in multiple ways, as long as you're aware that it happens and you're pulling it out before you send it to your beta readers, because that's one of those things that'll annoy them really quickly. Yeah. That yeah. I know from experience. <laughs> Hi, hello. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> so, so we've talked about we've talked about the overall. We've talked about scenes. We've talked about paragraphs. Uh, we've talked touched a little bit on sentences, but it, that all kind of mm-hmm. relates. One thing. One thing you really haven't heard us talk about yet and i don't think we really need to go into this is grammar and yep i mean you do a grammar pass that should be that should go without saying really Mm -hmm. um but the one thing that you should probably do when you're going through and reading it is find your favorite style book whatever that one happens to be go through it and make sure you've got a thesaurus and a dictionary handy next to you too (laughs) and read through it if there is a word that you aren't 100% confident of what that is, look it up um, or yeah. find something different um, because, you know, you, you've got, I don't know about you, but I use some of those, uh, you know, I sometimes play around with language and I use words that I think I know pretty well till I have to look them up. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. My problem in general is that I'm... Pr- I'm always pretty sure what things mean. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we all are pretty yeah. sure what things mean. Yeah. And then when you actually write it down, it's like, whoops. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't but, mean that. <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's actually, I, I think that's hard. It's hard for me to go through what I've written and say, do you, do I really know what that word means? Do I really is that word saying exactly what I want to say? Yes. So, one thing, yeah. So one thing with that that you're that you're on there. 
I'm going to go ahead and be the the voice of of mild contradiction. Not oh yeah, like deep like it. oh this doesn't mean anything. But one of the things that I learned is not my strong point is editing for grammatical things. Mm-hmm. I have learned I am not a grammar editor. I'm a I'm a dev editor in terms of like the type of the way I design a story. So I need grammarians in my life, as yeah. Doctor Doyle would say. Yes. So um, yes, and this was one of those things where when I sat down for my one-on-one with Jim McDonald, he um, he was like, "This is a wonderful story, and it needs an editor." <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. There. He's like, "You're just gonna be," and it was one of those things. He was just very matter of fact about it, like. You, your story building is fine. What you need is somebody who can do all the nitty gritty shit for you. You're just never going to be that person. <laughs> <laughs> and I was That's like, fair. <laughs> I felt totally very validated fair. at that moment that I was just, I'm not going to be the person who's able to refine my own grammar beyond a certain point. Yeah. And so I am. That's totally one of those find your tribe moments in our, in our conversation where mm-hmm. Where they're there, you we have grammarians in our lives, and we will have to rely on them, yeah. But it will not be me, and it's perfectly <laughs> okay me. if you know somebody who's a who yeah. is that is is a grammar nerd to just say, I need a grammar pass on this, yeah. If you just ask beyond them, that, yeah, yeah, beyond that, I would even say that, like. There is often a tendency in newer writers to focus on the grammar instead of that big picture thing. Yeah. The grammar is like the cone of your, in, like the point of your cone in your yep. your inverse thing. And the the problem that, that so many people have is the big picture stuff and, and they don't realize that. So like, yeah, they get the story edited down to that fine, fine, nitty gritty point, mm-hmm. but they didn't write a real story. Yeah. yeah. You know, like it's missing conflict, like a seed pod. Yeah. That is well, empty. I think you guys remember this <laughs> this story that I told in an earlier episode that I think got hit the edit got edited. I might out. have edited it out. Yeah, yeah, it was a, ruthless with that shit. Yeah, when I was at, at the um, I was at uh, at college. I was at the writing lab essentially. Oh yeah, and I these people. This yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I'll, I'll, that episode was the one brief. that was like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this. <laughs> I'm yeah, pretty sure it, it was very... me who cut cut the story, though. Oh, I I agree that she should cut it. Was the thing? Yeah, yeah, that was I fine. That. Womp womp. But it's relevant here. Yes, and yes, I'll make it, is. it very short. Super relevant. I'll make it very short. Basically, the, these uh, two two people came in with their stories that were due that day, essentially, and they were a mess. And so I helped them with structure. It was the first thing yeah. that I helped them with, so that they could just have something that actually made sense. And then when it got to the uh, professor and they tried to make their protest, you know, because they got D's on their papers. Of course. Of course. And the professor actually talked to me and, and said, so what happened here? I said, I had no time to do it. We didn't spend any time on grammar. All I wanted for them to do is have something that made something that made sense, sort of. Yeah. Because we didn't have time to do anything else. Yeah. Um. So yeah, big picture is is important, and that's something you should spend a fair amount of time on. Yes. So. Yes. So we should sum up. Yes. Yeah. Big picture. Do it. <laughs> big good picture. Luck with that. Big picture. <laughs> well, I think a good yeah. sum up here is remember that inverse pyramid that I was kind of talking about before. Start yeah. at the top there, go big, work mm-hmm. down towards your smaller levels. Uh, Could it just be a regular pyramid if we walk up it? Sure, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, no. Whatever floats your no boat. No sayings sure to Jay. <laughs> we'll lose another volcano layer. Oh, okay, let's look at it this way. Let's look at it oh, as yeah, a yeah, we could, yeah, we could make base this a of a volcano, volcano right. So you start at the bottom of the volcano base and you work way up to the magma <laughs> point. How's that? Yeah, that, sure. that's actually pretty that good. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I, I might steal that. So yeah. Um, but Can't yeah, try to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Why not? But it might be an alternate universe <laughs> version of yourself. Yeah, oh, that would be awesome. Actually. Okay, now we're go mo- moving into the darkest timeline area here. Yeah. <laughs> actually, so, in, in short, the well, actually, I, focus. I, I did want to make make one more point though. 
actually, and this is yeah. kind of um, in this uh, book, the self-editing for writers. Um, they talk about certain sections, and I think it's fair that to to go through. I don't know if you're going to have time to do twelve passes over your piece <laughs> strictly as editing, but if you chunk that out a little bit and say, "I'm going to go through this." I'm going to go through my story, I'm going to read, and I'm going to read for these characteristics. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm looking for. Um, Yeah, Yeah, focused editing is a really good idea. Focused editing, yeah. And that was really the point that I wanted to make. Oh, totally. Yeah, so I mean, I think, yeah, working from your your big picture to your small picture. um, Making sure to do something that that transforms the work while you're trying to edit it. So either changing font, changing programs, reading out loud, finding, you know, printing it out. Something, some way to re-visualize the work G- give will you, really help. Give you the best chance at having fresh eyes on it, really. Yes. It is basically the only way to give yourself fresh eyes on a manuscript that you generated yourself. Yes. Yep. And don't be afraid to find beta readers. Uh, and don't be afraid to find beta readers who are not necessarily your closest friends. Yes. Yeah. You want to have a mix of people that are close, people that are acquaintances. and um, But also be respectful of their time. Yes. Yeah. Don't give them something with an hour to read it and then hope that they're going to be able to find the time for you right at that hour. You really yes. want to make sure that you give everybody space to do the work and, Plus, don't... and be respectful of whatever opinion they have, even if that opinion is, you know what, this isn't for me. Yeah. Plus, also, um, don't don't keep editing a piece after you give it to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because That's... if you mm-hmm. can do that yourself, you should have done it before you give it gave it yes. to them. Yeah. yeah, give the best copy that you have yeah. when you go to a beta reader. Yeah, and if you're not ready to get to that best copy yet, then that's what that's what the self editing stuff is all about. You want to get it to the point where it's as tight as it can be, but without out outside input. Right. You are allowed to have an epiphany. Just yeah, thinking that's about a little it. Different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you have something that you're just you know you're falling asleep and you're like, oh my god, I need to change that. That's yeah, Fine. that's not the same thing. Yeah, that's it's not, not what the... we're talking about yeah. here so much as the like. Oh well, I already changed that piece of dialogue. Yeah, so it's not a problem anymore. Like, yeah. well, then why did you give it to me with this piece of dialogue in it? Yes, yeah. or whatever. You know. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> hand it to them and then keep <laughs> actively working on that piece. Yes, or or again, just in terms of that kind of correction. Yeah, you just don't. Uh, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. Basically, just don't be so defensive. <laughs> right. <laughs> and be be grateful, be thankful, and be willing to beta for somebody else when they've beta for you. Yes. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Tim. Have you yes. read any good books lately? Uh, yeah, I'm actually... Um, not many people know this right now. I've told some of my friends, but I'm kind of, you know, struggling through some of my writing right now. So at times like that, I want to kind of look for inspiration. So lately, I have been looking through... Uh, and I don't know if we've mentioned this before. If we've mentioned this before, I have to pick something else. Um <laughs> But uh, Wonder Book by Jeff Mandemir. We have. I was actually just going to talk about this during this self-editing, and then I totally forgot. Oh, okay. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a great book to talk about for self-editing. Yeah. Yes. But it's also a good book to talk about for inspiration and yes. and and just kind of getting getting kind of yourself ready to create, um, doing things, doing art. Yes. Um, yes. So. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic book, beautifully illustrated. It's got a lot of uh, different uh, input from writers and, and artists yes. and what have you. So it's pretty fantastic. So, wonder book. <laughs> Jay, 
What have you been reading lately? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually have one this time. Whoa. Oh, good. Whoa. Yeah, no, Nina knows this one because I was like, about it this morning. So, I've been on like a weird. I don't know. I I was I went through like a sword and sorcery thing a couple weeks ago, and then I like plowed through all of Mary Robinette Kowal, uh, 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 glamorist history stuff, <laughs> including like the escapement of right Blackledge. Now. Such a face. Yes, including the escapement of Blackledge. But I'm not going to put that one in my, as my recommendation, even though it's delightful and you should read it. Even if you've never read <laughs> no, any no, of the glamorous no, history stuff, too. it is Stop. so cute. Just one. So cute. Read it. Okay. Oh uh, no. So my recommendation is actually going to be Swords Point, Ellen Kushner. Okay. Um, which feels like a feels like like a spiritual ancestor of the glamorous histories, uh, in a way, in a way. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, God, how can I come up with a way to describe this book? Um, it it is. Can I just a, say? I'm pretty sure I remember this correctly, but I think the audiobook is a full cast recording. Ooh, oh. Yes. <laughs> I actually had to say the grin part because I'm grinning so hard right now. Yes, she is. <laughs> um, so yes, continue. the pleasure of meeting Ellen Kushner uh, a couple of months ago at a Queerest Destroy Science Fiction Function in New York at Blue Stockings Cafe, and uh, she is a delightful person, and I realized I had not read uh, her most seminal work, and um, it has been on my TV read list pretty much since then time, and uh, and then I, I opened it up last night, and then whoops, it was four in the morning. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's one well of those. Then. Yeah. One of the things that I found absolutely delightful about it is that within the first chapter of the book, and it's not, you know, explicit or, or in any way untoward, uh, but uh, the, the two of the main characters are gay gentlemen, and it's just presented as matter-of-fact information. It is not a plot point in the beginning of the book. There is no immediate conflict surrounding that. It is simply, here, these two gentlemen, they are together, and it is wonderful. Hmm. And I like that. Uh, that alone was pretty much like, oh, I need to keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, that's really pretty much all I have to say about that right this second. Cool. Uh, is Swords Point, Ellen Kushner. Nina. I know what you've been reading. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I know what this one's going to so, be. So I have been entirely consumed by Cameron Hurley's geek feminist revolution. Yeah. Yes. Since <laughs> I knew this gay one too. came out uh, the day before yesterday. And uh, it just makes me so happy. Angry <laughs> feminist rants with encouragement for young writers and and celebration of angry females doing shit and having always <laughs> done shit and it it is everything i want it to be and it has llamas and it it's <laughs> I, I've I've been listening to the to the audiobook, which of course, uh, it's narrated by C. S. E. Cooney, who is delightful. Mm-hmm. But also, it's it's. I think it's kind of wonderful that even though I'm listening to C. S. E. Cooney, I can still sort of hear Cameron, because she has this very specific, recognizable voice. She has a tone. Yes. And it includes so many curse words. I love her for it. (laughs) (laughs) Read it. Buy it. It's amazing. Cool. It is my favorite thing this week. I do like that that was literally the most predictable book we've ever had. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That was wonderful.
This has been the Mad Riders Union. Now let's get to work. Our intro music is Cephalopod, and our interlude music is Exotics, both by Kevin McLeod at IncomTech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Whew, just imagine how much there was before we, you know, did some editing. Well, what did you think? Let us know. You can reach us at our website, madwritersunion.com. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash themadwritersunion. You can tweet to us on our Twitter handle, at madwritersunion. And last but not least, you can email us at madwritersunion at gmail.com. If you enjoy our podcast and want to help spread the word, please leave a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast repository. And remember to turn off your magma generator or else, you know, you're going to have a problem. What can you do for, like, maybe we need to, like, like hire a, like, like intern or something. An Igor intern? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Whatever. Must have brain in jar. <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyway. I, I think we're proving think here the. Uh, I, the oxygen oh, go ahead. levels. Go ahead. No, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just. I was just going to say that I think we should stop messing with Igor. Igor because. There's a distinct possibility that they will redirect the magma from the volcano into Ooh, the yes. air conditioning. Undersea volcano layer? Yes. Definitely needs lava maintenance. Yes. And we don't want that. So, right. moving on. <laughs>